Greetings and welcome to the latest edition of Impala's podcast series, the highly engaging and captivating 20 Minutes With. This is Juliana Carantin speaking and right here, right now, I'm with Michelle Lambeau, a true industry pioneer who's going to tell us a bit more about what inspired him to set up Impala and why he thought it was more than a good idea. It was a vital one. Hi, Michelle. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hi, Juliana. You here. What a surprise. <laughs> it's lovely seeing you too, Michelle. Now, looking at your history, it seems you're a serial entrepreneur with a knack for starting successful projects. And I emphasize the word successful. Could you tell us how it all started for you? With mistakes. I just <laughs> failed and failed again. <laughs> but I had been on my knee for too long, so I start again. And I've been uh, very, 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 very lucky when I was 20 and met Kenny. It's very hard to have long wedding, but mine with Kenny started 40 years ago and we're still together. And I think uh, it gives self-confidence. It helps when you're not in a good mood, which happens very, very, very often. And it helps also the company or the enterprises when you too, you know, you have ups and downs. And when you're down, the other one is full of energy and keeps you going. Now, let's pursue the status of independence in Europe at that time. So there were, you must have discovered that there were other companies like yours in all the other European countries. Then by almost the year 2000, when everything was still evolving and changing, you were dealing with the internet in its infancy, where people were saying, this is how we're going to distribute music. This is how we're going to send messages to our peers in other countries. Smartphones were still a novelty. There was no social media which could have offered affordable marketing to in small independents, especially. Independent music in multilingual, multicultural Europe was fragmented. Is that what compelled you to feel that some cooperation was needed in the industry? Is that what underpinned the idea of Impala? I've been part of IPR Belgium, the boat during many years, and then Holland and others. And one day there was something very, very special which have disappeared now, which is the BIM contract, which is the contract between all auto societies and all record companies to organize a free movement of copyright between music companies, publishers on one side and record companies in the other one. And this is a big, big, big gathering, which is the BIM negotiation. We were in the Benelux to try to keep a negotiation with the Benelux societies. And someone I never met arrived and he was guessed by the majors. And the major said, we have to listen to what he has to say. And we had some decided jointly to speak about um, organizing a different mechanical rights for a mix because it was uh, 12, 12 inch 45s at the time, EPs, which were like six minutes long, and we were paying too much. So it was, we had a program, and the guy came and said, no, 
the measures is decided, the only things you're going to ask from the society will be actual real price, so net price. And we knew the publishers were not ready to do so. And we couldn't have another point. And I said, my God, we need to organize something among indie. And Martin Mills in the UK at the same, was facing the same situation. And we felt we had to do it at European level immediately. So we just called, I called a few friends. A beautiful day in Brussels, in a restaurant. We went in the garden, spent there, <laughs> drink a bit of, of wine during the whole afternoon and decided we had a program to start in Pana. It's very simple. So in which case, what would Impala's role have been? What was the vision? What did you have in mind? My vision was different than the way it was structured day one. I wanted to have something which was more like a think tank, having, you know, 10, 15 members meeting once every three months and trying to see where we could have um, an action on the structure of the business. And for instance, the BM contract, as I was explaining, having a joint statements everywhere in France, in Germany, it was obviously international. It had to be international, but I wanted to have something very clubby. And the others said, no, no, this is anti-democratic. We don't want to repeat like the majors are doing. We, don't, we need to get everyone on board. <laughs> and then uh, and that's what, what happened. We helped creating, you know, structures in every country. And I had something I really wanted against the others, which remain. I didn't want it to have a federation of federation because I felt it will never work in Europe, especially in Europe, to have like a big structure, which was European structure in Pala, which will explain to the French, the Germans, the Dutch, how they had to hack because they were like subsidiaries. I felt it was not independent. And it will never work because Holland is Holland, Italy is Italy, and you have to keep this, you know, all this national diversity or local diversities if you really want to, to keep a structure going. It was not because of uh, religion, of ideology. It was more based on being efficient. And I felt that if we were not, if we were pushing an agenda, it would too soon become an Anglo-Saxon agenda, which will not be uh, working well in all the, the other countries. We had to be Span Spanish in Spain and Italian in Italy and so on. Well, something is working well because Impala today has over 5,000 members. Was this something that you could have imagined? You were mentioned in a number of 15 earlier on when you started. How many members were there initially and how did it grow? Was it quickly, slowly? Mm -hmm. It was very quick. It was very quick. We were an handsome people. I mean, in this restaurant, like five or six, becoming 15 probably within, you know, within the first month because everyone was on board. Philippe Kern was looking for a job. He, he was quitting EMI in London and was looking to get something in European affairs in, in Brussels. He had no office, so I said, okay, come and have an office in Piaz and, and let's start in Pala together. <laughs> he said, yeah, that's a good idea. So that's, it started in a very simple way, but very, very, very rapidly after the moment where we had decided to put things in motion, like EMI and Warner decided to, to merge, and we were against it. And it became something 
very big because in the same time, AOL was buying Times Warner. So the two things were merged into the competition authorities in Brussels. And it was AOL buying Times Warner. It was the new world buying the old one. It was record companies and movies and magazine being absorbed by an internet company. And EMI and Warner wanted to merge to become like the supremo in the record business and the publishing business. We were against it. <laughs> we had nothing that opens, really. And suddenly we were on all TVs and all press and financial times and, and people had really the impression and we stopped it. What year are we talking about? I think it was 2001. So shortly after Impala became official and you were already showing your clout, why was it important to combine forces to oppose these massive consolidations that were taking place? Why didn't you just complain and just let it go? One of the essential things you have to do to bring music to the public is to keep market access. I came from a country where there were no record stores. So I had to um, organize myself with friends when I was a teenager. And once a month, one of us was going with all our cash to Brussels to buy five or six albums. And that's where we were accessing to music. You need the record stores, you need the local radio. All these are market access. If you foreclose the market access because you control the market, then you only authorize the artists which are signed through your consortium to have market access. And if how many people know that the Beatles were playing it in Germany before coming back to Liverpool? They became the Beatles the day the people knew they were the Beatles, not when they were, they were playing small clubs in Germany. And that's market access. You need to be able to talk to the public for the public to know that you exist. And when you're big companies, <laughs> it's easier to go to record stores and say, you know, I have 40% market share. I want to have 50% of your stores. If you don't give me 50% of your windows, I stop selling to you. And that's why it's important to keep the market open. Well, since Impala started 20 years ago, a lot of things must have happened. As a journalist, I've covered some of them. Can you give us an example of some of the highlights for you? A big highlight was one in your mind because he kickstarted something. I mean, first of all, because never heard. It was a, a, a live experience for myself. And I think it was a live experience for everyone involved, including um, the ex-manager of Pink Floyd, which was funny. It was a time changer, a game changer, sorry, because immediately we were existing well, it was just an idea a couple of months before. It was not even sure to do it, you know. Should we do it? And it was there, it was existing, and we had to organize ourselves and then talk to the French, to organize the French, and then to, you know, how do we make the English being part of Europe? It was already a problem. <laughs> it still is, unfortunately. So that was a game changer. Another game changer, which was a mistake and a failure and a great idea really pushed to do the same mistake again was when, when we signed the Napster deal in America with Sean Fawning. I love that guy. We had dinner in London. He was just a charming bloke, so innocent. It was just like, wow. And we could have had Spotify five years before. We would have had no Casar, no piracy. 
unfortunately, the majors and particularly one German one decided it was they had to kill it. And he was um, so he was a negative game changer. And again, he showed he showed us he proved us how important it is to have market access because we had market access or an emerging market access. Napster and the majors decided to kill it. What else? Yeah, a big, big one. <laughs> and a funny one, and a, and a learning one as well. The very long, long commando operation of having Article 17 <laughs> being voted in the European Parliament. <laughs> the crazy manoeuvres of the people which were fighting against it. It was just like an, an, um, a very, very big learning history for me. And also it showed me how naive I still was that you really, really have to pay attention if you want to protect your little world and your freedom of speech. Could you explain just a little bit more about Article uh, 17? It's essentially the new directive, European Directive on Copyright. And he has actually already seeded in other countries over the world. It's making sure that the online world, the responsibility of people selling music or broadcasting music is the same as on, on the offline world. And then essentially, if I have a media, be it YouTube or another name, I'm obliged to respect the copyright I'm using on my organization. For whatever it is, you know, music in hairdressers, coffee shops, or internet companies. It's the same, be it Facebook or be it, you know, YouTube, Google. Someone, a creator somewhere with his guitar and his voice and made songs. Could be Happy Birthday, which was made in a, with scoots in, in a, <laughs> blocked in a mountain. These copyrights have to be, the writers have the right to say no. Essentially, it is what it is. Nothing else. I have created the songs. A producer or a publisher have helped me to put it public and we together we own that copyright and if someone wants to use a copyright he has to pay for it and that writer has the right to say i don't want that fascist party to use my music i have the right to say no okay so what do you see as the next step for impala what should we look out for today i wanted to come back on your previous question just one very little word sure. what but something which has been very, very, very important for me in the last developments of Impala is because of my age and because of the world I've lived in was the opening to Eastern Europe and the Balkans. You know, my generation is just a post-war generation. There was a Berlin Wall. Czechoslovakia was far, far, far away when it's only, you know, it was driving now. And suddenly this, this world was coming back in our world. Was, you know, we, uh, we, and we remember the first gigs we made before the Berlin World in Poland and, we, and, and selling cassettes undercover and piracy. And we were so pleased to have pirates of our stuff there because it was the only way to have market access was actually to be illegal. And suddenly Poland, Ukraine, they were becoming Impala members and we see the Balkans working together and unifying themselves to make sure that they can protect independent labels and artists in the Balkans and Serbs and Croats working together. Oh, my generation is something marvellous. That is just great news to hear, honestly. So what do you see as the next step for Impala? Are there issues in the music industry we haven't even thought of yet? 
fake news <laughs> is probably one of the big the big problems of the market for the moment. The fact that people believe that it happens very recently with fake news in a way. The DCMS hearing in the English Parliament. The reason why they were limited release in the physical world is simply because racks in the stores have limited space. And I was talking about market access, that when there is no rack space, you can store your, your records. And if you can't store your records in the record stores, you don't exist. It's not because suddenly a hard disk has no limit, that the public is able to ingest millions of new songs every day. The UPS, USP, sorry, of the MS were saying, hey, come to Apple with 150 million songs. No, come to Spotify with 151 million songs. And we ingest more and more and more and more every day, every day, every day. The problem of market access is to have windows. It's not to have your records in the back room where no one has access to. And no one can listen to new songs, million songs every day. And there is a big lie about that. And the second big lie is the fact that everyone should have a living. Why suddenly the world should authorize millions of artists singing in the streets and making a living out of it? The same goes with people making breads. You know, if I start to make breads, and I need, a, you know, I need enough people buying my bread. And it's not because my song is on, I uploaded in Spotify yesterday and I have 100 people having streamed it, then I'm going to have a living. It's a mistake to believe it. And it's a big fake news to prove that essentially if we were changing the systems, I would make a living out of it. And I think that is the next battle. Okay, Michelle. And now for our popular five quick fire questions in five minutes. Here we go. What are the three things that stand out for you in the past 12 months? Shop being closed, record stores, it was something. Amazon, the second one was, <laughs> you say, okay, at least we still have Amazon. Amazon saying, no, we, we stopped selling music. <laughs> it's not essential. <laughs> oh, we, we survive and we, we did it, like many others. My second point, is artists and musician resilience. I felt the way most of the people I know that are making, making music, have continued to make music. It's probably even better because it's less pressure. And within the people I'm meeting, others first in the musical world, I think people have more problem with the lockdown than we have into the music industry and in, in, within the artist community. I admire the resilience of musicians over the last 12 months. And my last one over the last 12 months is lack of support for music from the whole local government. We have survived because the way government has had businesses to survive has been fantastic, but they don't understand and they don't give a shit about the way to make the music live. They just, you know, and remember, in, I don't know the word in English, la cigale la fourmi, as a, a big <laughs> count. And um, the economy, la fourmi, the hunt, is the winter. And la cigale, which is a singer, has no reserve. And he said, oh, you've been singing the whole summer. You can be dancing now. Just go and die. <laughs> it's still the same, you know. You know, hands are telling cigale that 
then they keep they should keep on dancing. And and it's sad, I mean, I, I felt the world would be more understandable that we need to live with emotion as well as um, as money. What are your priorities for the future? Be happy. What are you often heard saying? Kenny says, I always say, voila. <laughs> and it just says, I'm, I'm saying fuck off too many times. <laughs> What's your one piece of advice to someone considering a career in music? It's very easy. Don't be afraid of sleepless night. Don't expect to work nine to five. Don't consider the weekends are different than the weekdays. They're just other days where you can do what you need to do. And make sure that your ego is smaller than your will. It's different and it's very, very important. And finally, what's on your playlist at the moment? It's actually funny because uh, it was I've heard on radio and I keep on singing, uh, playing it. It's a song by the Psychedelic First called Sister Europe. And it's beautiful. And, and he keeps on saying home again. And I had this big, big, big sadness about Brexit. And I felt Sister Europe, home again. It's really my favorite number track for the moment. I hope you come back. And the Brits. <laughs> uh, I love an album by Marie Kerous. It's a Christian singer, a nun in Lebanon. She did a big career on Armenia Mundi, and it's gorgeous. It's just beautiful. Christian Middle East music and songs, it's just wow. A new singer, uh, she's going to be famous, I'm sure. She's so amazing. Arlo Parks. Just released a new album, and she's wow! And just I'm so proud. My old timer, Nick Cave, not one song, but everything, <laughs> nearly everything. And then I'm listening a lot to um, Sweet Bergamask, the Claude Debussy. Touching, that's very touching. I like that. Well, Michel Lambeau, what can I say? An honor and a pleasure having you on Impala's 20 Minutes With. Thank you. Thank you, Juliana. It's been a pleasure. You're always as enthusiast. Every time I see you or hear you, oh, she might actually do it. It's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you.